Hey! Hi, this is Dr. Christine. And Dr. Colin. And we are your co-hosts for the exciting new podcast called Love, Love Scrubs, Scrubs, and Stories, where we dive deep into the world of dating and relationships and go beyond the people wearing the white coats, the scrubs, and the stethoscopes. Come join us on this journey where we engage in dialogue and share stories of love, heartbreak, resilience, and triumphs. And we also navigate our professional lives with our hearts on our sleeves. Please remember to subscribe and hit the notification button to stay up to date on all future episodes. And, and we, we look, look forward, forward to, to seeing, seeing you inside. inside. Hey! Hi. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Love Scrubs and Stories podcast. We thank you so much for being on. You could have been anywhere in the world and... We're super glad that you're here. I'm Dr. Colin Zhu. If this is your first time, please smack that subscribe button. And I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Dr. Christine Nguyen. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited today. We have an amazing topic to talk about. We have an incredible guest as well. And I think this is going to be a, a really fun one, Colin. Yes. What are we, what are yes. we talking about today? We are talking about the heart-brain connection. And before we brought this up, I had to think to myself, hmm, well, there is the gut-brain connection that everyone, you know, all the new kids on the block, keep, you know, keep, <laughs> you know, talking about. But what about the heart-brain connection, right? So, That's um, big and stuff. so, yeah, it is. And at first glance, I thought to myself, okay, how do we want to approach this? And the first things that come to my mind, I don't know what comes to your mind, Christine, but first things that come to my mind is, you know, sometimes they can be very at odds with each other, right? Like when we're, we're in the business of medicine, we're in the profession, the beauty of medicine, very left-branded, right? And maybe we overanalyze, right? Maybe we're too cerebral and too much of in our, in our head, right? Just but, maybe a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I'm not, also- We don't deal with the matters of the heart and brain, like just, you know, all day long, right? Yeah. But I'm also a hopeless romantic, right? But I changed, I've switched it over years to a hopeful romantic. But I would say to myself, ooh, if things align, that would be like amazing. But when they don't, the question I think of about this is, who do I listen to more? My, you know, the brain, my head, or my heart, right? It's kind of like those two guys on your shoulder, right? Like, who do you listen to, right? So what about for you? Yeah. And what does it depend on? Maybe perhaps if you get more sleep or not, you know, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. And, right. And so this is such a, I think, an important topic. And it's certainly like understanding the heart brain connection can be a game changer for our personal lives. Right. It's, you know, and, and like you mentioned, like, you know, there's there's our professional lives and then there's our personal lives. And sometimes it bleeds into the other, like the professional lives bleeds into our personal lives. And so I think that like early on, I, I used to be you know, I, I think our profession has really changed, at least me. Like, I feel like maybe I'm using my brain more and that's not so good, you know? And mm. I feel like I need to scale it back and find a better balance between the two. I don't know. Mm. Does that come with as we mature <laughs> over time? And, or is it part of our profession or both? What do you think? Well, I think it's a very interesting balance of, you know, serving, you know, we're in a profession of serving at the end of the day. And I like to think of it as leading with your heart, right? Heart on your sleeve, you're being empathetic, you're opening up to the patient, you're allowing them space to be vulnerable, right? And then you go home, right? And if you are single or looking for love, then you're like, hmm, do I, you know, continue to be vulnerable? Yeah. And just like lay myself out there. Do I want to, do I want to open 
myself up for heartbreak. You know, you just don't know. And I've had plenty of times of both, you know, just, you know, that analysis paralysis, right? And then, you know, leading so much and, you know, falling head over heels for someone. And then you're getting that reflexive, you know, heartbreak, right? So I've, I've experienced it. I've experienced both. I don't know what's more right. Or maybe should we just listen to our gut, right? The <laughs> third guy, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and also I feel like, like at the moment, like say, you know, I was on a date and then enjoying the company of the person I was with. And I feel like maybe at, at that moment, I feel like definitely the heart guides but then when you leave you know after the date somehow like your brain just kind of creeps in more and has like it's like talking and it's like you know and then you start questioning things you know and so that happens with me <laughs> I don't know how often that happens with you well I heard that we receive and uh, our guests can definitely clarify you know I heard that we receive like or we process through like 60 70 thousand thoughts a day and to me, it's kind of like, who are those my thoughts? Or are they, you know, my family's thoughts, my community's thoughts, my, you know, like whose thoughts are they? And that oh, that's, also, true. that's also like, you know, uh, a novella, you know, I'm sure my, <laughs> my, my guests, I'm sure my guests will appreciate that one. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm very excited. I'd love to hear like the science behind the heart and the brain and just kind of understanding how they work together, especially when it comes to matters of love and attraction and emotional well-being. So what do you think? Shall we bring on our guests? I'm, I'm, I can't yeah. wait to, yeah, let's do it. So I'm super excited to introduce our guest. We have Dr. Tom Pitts. He earned his medical degree, completed his neurology residency and served as the chief resident at Wright State University's Boonshoff School of Medicine in Dayton, Ohio. He completed his fellowship in clinical neurophysiology at Columbia University in New York City, where he currently resides, and he is proud to call himself a true New Yorker. Dr. Pitts is board certified in neurology and clinical neurophysiology. He holds additional qualifications in headache medicine from the National Headache Foundation, is a multiple sclerosis certified specialist, and is a Myasthenia Gravis Foundation of America partner provider. He has been published in the scientific journal Viruses for his work with monoclonal antibodies during the COVID-19 pandemic in New York City and speaks multiple languages, including Spanish and Italian. Currently, he works as a neuro tele-neurologist and occasionally appears as, on TV as a guest neurologist. In his spare time, he enjoys cooking, photography, bike riding, and traveling the world and documents all the fun on Instagram, and I avidly follow him. So welcome to the Love, Scrubs, and Stories podcast. Hi, Tom. How are you doing hey, today? How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. We're so excited to have you on. So Tom, so you're part of our White Coat Romance community. And I started noticing you in the group because, you know, every now and then you would like someone would ask for like an opinion about something or an issue they're having or just wanted different perspectives. And you would chime in and you would you were never afraid to like just say it like it is like just, you know, straight up say it like it is, also in a very kind and thoughtful way, which I greatly appreciated a lot. So thank you so much. That's very nice of you to say it. Thank you. I think everybody has to be a little bit mindful of that. It's, it's easy to get carried away on the internet. You know, these are real people. And even if something is very obviously wrong or said a little bit, what's the word, offensively, or so, some of these folks can be a little aggressive, but it's important to just, you know, rise above it and give good advice to our colleagues. 
Yeah, we're passionate. And then, you know, we both follow each other on Instagram. And I, I live through you vicariously through all of your travels. And so it's been so much fun. And I'm just so excited that you've accepted our invitation to come on to the podcast. So, Colin, shall we start off and, and kind of pick yeah. Dr. Uh, Tom Britt's, uh, Pitt's brain about this topic, about the <laughs> brain connection? Yes, yes, definitely. So let's uh, kick things off. So the first question is, what exactly, how would you define the heart-brain connection? And can you break it down for the, you know, our healthcare professional audience and help us understand, you know, what is it, what is the significance of it for our love lives? Sure. In the romantic context, of course, the heart, sorry to say, guys, does not really play a role per se, right? It's not like the cartoon heart that we think of. <laughs> Uh, but however, it is the recipient of the brain's activity in 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 the setting of romance. So, meaning we talked about you you kind of let off with the gut brain connection. Mm -hmm. Second highest concentration of nerves outside the brain is in the gut, mm -hmm. and you know that's why we have abdominal migraines sometimes that are acephalgic. They don't even cause pain; they just cause stomach disturbance or dysmotility. We see that in spinal cord injury, right? So, the heart will beat fast or palpate or feel heavy. You know, uh, the gut will move the so-called butterflies, which is really probably a transient gastroparesis potentially, you know, if we really get down to the nitty gritty of it. But that's mostly mediated by complicated central pathways involving many parts of the brain and then moving down through a lot of the autonomic, so meaning the unconscious part of the peripheral nervous system, which manipulates all the organ systems. So it's a very complex kind of relationship, but the heart is not kind of the love generator and the brain, the thought generator. It all happens within the brain, specifically, you know, a lot of the limbic system. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Christine. So I guess the cardiologists are, you know, going to, I wonder if they're going to want to counter with you on that. That would have been more fair, Christine, if we brought in a cardiologist. The cool, coolest part about a heart is the automaticity center. <laughs> let's be real. So it's all, it's all nerve anyway. I'm just kidding. You know, the heart, look, I'll give the heart credit, right? It pumps and gets blood up to the brain. So the brain can fall in love. So that's important. Well, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Well, let's talk about love and attraction. So are there neurological processes that explain why some people say they feel butterflies in their stomach, like what Colin was talking about with the gut, when they're around someone they're attracted to? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. It's, it's neurologic and psychiatric, right? From the psychiatric point of view, meaning that there's learned things. We're almost like AI, right? We, we learn and model as we grow. So maybe you grew up admiring a certain type of woman or man in uh, school. And maybe that's kind of the kind of person because you've had good experiences that you kind of continue to date over time. Sometimes you have traumatic experiences with people and you avoid other people that may perceive them. So there's a psychiatric component. I think neurologically, the interesting thing is that most of us fall in love, but while there's a general scope on functional MRI studies, it can be slightly different for each person. I always found that kind of interesting. Wow. So what regions of the brains, you had mentioned the limbic system, right? So when you say that, you know, on the functional MRI, what are the differences that we see from person to person? Right. There's a lot. I mean, it's really to the degree that these sites, you know, the functional MRI will light up based on blood flow, which means that there's more metabolism. So if I isolated a patient and said, you know, think of just something purely mathematical, you usually would assume that those associated regions would be receiving the most blood flow so they would light up. 
is kind of the general premise if you're not you know, familiar with functional MRI. What we find is that in most people, you do see this slide up throughout the hypothalamus, you know, the amygdala, these reward centers, if you will, the nucleus accumbens, which is like, you know, a big player in the limbic system through the locus ceruleus, the prefrontal cortex. There are many different areas, but what I find interesting is that kind of in, in many different people, and there aren't huge studies on this, but your hypothalamus may be more involved. Mine may be less involved. My dopamine secretion may be higher. Yours may be lower, but we mm-hmm. both reach the same outcome, which is love as we know mm-hmm. it. But I guess it's kind of like in an analogy, you know, is your blue, my blue, you know, is, is your red, my red, or to what extent? Mm-hmm. So something like that. Well, gotcha. you're, you're making me think of Netter's anatomy now. <laughs> so, oh, the good old days. <laughs> I, I was like, damn, my clinical I was like, he's anatomy all these, like, Yeah, and regions of the brain. But I obviously need to brush up on my, my neurology skills. So I decided to crash an, a neural conference. And, you know, we're at social hour. And at some point, your eyes and my eyes lock. And I smile at you, Tom. And you're like, you know what? I'm a friendly guy. I think she would appreciate. It. I think she's got a good sense of humor. I think she. Let's break the ice and let's 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 you know let's drop a medical pickup line. Do you have something in mind that you know you could say to me that you think would help break the ice? Yeah, you know what? It would be horrible. I mean, if it, if we're going all right, if it's a medical neurology pickup line, and like I was saying, you know. Yeah, I think if I said this in New York City, I'd probably get like mace and tase. But you guys might appreciate this. If it was a neuroconference, it might go over. So I'd say, wow, are you status epilepticus? Because you've got me shaken. <laughs> nice. I mean, because in a neuroconference, right? What else could you possibly do? Right. I At love first, it. I was excited. I didn't know where you were going. I thought you said you actually crashed a neuroconference. So I was thinking, wow. I don't know that I would even do that. That's amazing. Great job. <laughs> well, you got me laughing and we're chatting. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for playing along. And that's and just for uh, for the audience note, occasionally we'll ask our guests to to share a medical pickup line just to kind of add to the fun of this podcast. So thanks for playing along, Tom. Sure. So Tom, to follow up, you know, there's this age-old saying that to follow your heart, quote unquote. And Sometimes you think about that, and I literally keep thinking of that heart on the sleeve, you know, analogy. I always visualize it for myself. And, you know, because it's kind of like, you know, on your limbs, it's outside of you. It's kind of like this vector that points in a certain direction, right? Follow your heart, right? Hey, guys, we'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsors. The Love Scrubs and Stories podcast is a collaboration and co-production between The Chef Doc and White Coat Romance. The Chef Doc is a wellness platform that offers innovative approaches to thriving and offers a self-empowerment book, podcast series, on-demand masterclass series, as well as a brand new app. The app provides self-guided education such as food as medicine, self-care, and resilience. Coaching services are also available, whether you prefer one-on-one or group-type settings. Please go now to your app store, as well as Apple as Google Play to download for free. White Coat Romance is a dating app for healthcare and health-related professionals and students in the U.S. and Canada. It's a lively space where you can find love, companionship, and build meaningful connections with like-minded professionals. If you're single, go to the app store and Google Play to download and join our vibrant community. 
As we both serve these amazing communities, we also acknowledge the value of continuing education. Therefore, we're super excited to share an enticing opportunity with our listeners. Our episodes are continuing education eligible. That's right. You now have the opportunity to earn valuable credits while enjoying our content. Rest assured, the episodes will always remain free as we are committed to supporting our communities and amplifying the voices of healthcare professionals. To get a better understanding of how this works, the first three episodes are free to obtain, then the rest of the podcast episodes are at a nominal cost. So you might be asking who can earn credits? Well, physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians associates, pharmacists, dentists, as well as dietitians and dietetic technicians. If you find yourself in need of CE credits, we kindly ask you to consider directing your CE funds towards supporting our cause. Your contribution would greatly help us nurture our podcast production and continue to bring you valuable content. We are deeply grateful for your support. From all of us here at Love Scrubs and Stories Podcast, thank you so much for choosing us. And enjoy the rest of this episode. Hey guys, thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. So asking you, you know, do we take this, should we take this literally in terms of matter of the heart, or is it more of something that's more, you know, cerebral, right? And exactly what is going on, you know, when we do? It's an excellent question. Yeah. Follow your heart really means, you know, in neurology, if I could translate that to neurology language, really means like, hey, this would be perfect for you and your primal needs Do not let external, less important things impede that. Like, for example, let's say, and and there was a a form on this, I think, recently. But anyway, um, let's say you saw a woman that maybe your family wouldn't like, but you like her for whatever reason, right? I have tattoos myself. Let's make it tattoos, right? Say, wow, I really like this, this girl or guy. They're really attractive to me, but they have tattoos. And I know my family wouldn't like that. Follow your heart really means that your brain is telling you you really want that person, but then you've let these external things come in. So why is that a good or bad thing? It's a good thing because it teaches you like in the end of the day, you're the one who has to you know fall in love or be with this person and you can't please everybody. The not even downside, but let's say the counter to that is that you know you will there could be consequences, you know socially, within your family from doing that. Now, you could argue they're the pathologic one, but just from a strict kind of binary factual point of view, there is potential social fallout from just like following your heart whenever you want. Most of us get to an age that we don't really care anymore, but follow your heart really just means go with what you instinctually know to be correct, which would be probably that way because it is self-rewarding, whether it's love, companionship, physical, you know, friendship, whatever it is that you're seeking, your brain is like, no, 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 ignore all this other stuff. We want this. Yeah, yeah. And I guess this question will be more for like a dating or relationship expert, but wouldn't it be cool if we had like a poll of people that actually follow their heart, quote unquote, and see where they end up, right? Like the outcomes of that survey, right? Or do you actually know of it? You know, it's funny. I'm laughing not because there's actually that survey, but if I, and I forget what it's called. But if you like were to Google heart and brain cartoon, there's a heart and a brain cartoon. And that's mm-hmm. what it's all about. Like the heart is like, we want ice cream, you know, and, and the brain is saying, no, 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 we have to study for the test. And sometimes the outcome is they follow the heart and sometimes they follow the brain. And the longest, shorter of, of it, and I actually think this would be what we saw in the study, 
sometimes when the heart goes for it, the brain is, is like, all right, I'm glad we did that. Sometimes when the heart goes for it, it goes catastrophically wrong. And mm -hmm. the other way around, you know, sometimes the brain picks the more conservative option or self-serving option and they don't have as much fun. And other times it works out great. So I think either <laughs> way, there's no perfect, you know, outcome always because it's so dependent on so many variables. But yeah, if you guys were bored, just refer to that heart brain cartoon. It's really mm -hmm. funny. And it's, it's probably actually true in real life. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's kind of like what we were talking about, like who's on your shoulder, right? So. So Tom, do you have any personal stories or anecdotes that you could possibly share with us to kind of highlight some of the things that you're talking about and some of the struggles that we have and between the heart and the brain? Yeah. I mean, you know, for example, I think there's a lot of, you know, I, I see very complicated things on, on the White Coat Romance Group, you know, situations that- <laughs> You're going to analyze it now. Well, no, no. I mean, just like- oh. Well, he's a neurologist. That, <laughs> well, they, they fit into this, this question so perfectly, you know, like so many of them will be about interfaith, you know, in-laws not agreeing, like all these external factors, you know, that come into play. I think, you know, when you when you look at this, there there is the whole underlying issue is convince me that these external factors are not as important as what my gut is telling me. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you a personal account. So in undergrad, I was never really like huge on drinking a lot of alcohol, but I like to go out. You know, I'm Hispanic. I was a bartender at a big club at Florida State University. And so I'm a fly on the wall, you know what I mean? I'm <laughs> oh my God, wall. that must have been so interesting. <laughs> oh man, that's a whole different chapter. I bet you have so many stories to share. No, we, write a book we on need that. a podcast episode for that one. You can write a book on that. But, you know, I'll tell you that I got to observe people hitting on people. Men hitting on men, women hitting on women, women hitting on men, men hitting on women. And you're just a fly All on the wall, right? yeah. Yeah, I mean, they'll go full out convo while you're sitting there cleaning. I mean, you are a fly <laughs> on the wall. So I got to see what I thought to be, you know, successful and not, you know, who got who and, and who, who got rejected. And usually it was who, who was following their gut. You could just feel it. They came in, they, they were just straightforward. They weren't putting on an act. And even if they weren't the smoothest, it was like the genuineness and their actual desire. They're actually following what's true to them that mm. was successful it's visible it's palpable oh, wow. when you you know when somebody comes up and they're just being like you know trying to be like a a player or whatever we would call it mm -hmm. or they're being hesitant because there's this social norm it's you know oh i i'm i'm hitting on someone that my parents wouldn't like that is palpable and unattractive mm -hmm. so in the end of the day i guess the moral mm. of it from my personal experience is you should ultimately follow your gut. I mean, mm -hmm. life is not a dress rehearsal here. That's what the brain mm -hmm. is reminding you. Because yeah. it sounds to me like then you could just be yourself. And being yourself, yeah. it's a very like beautiful thing. And that's comes across as being very authentic and genuine and allows the opportunity for that very, you know, you know, authentic, vulnerable connection. That's what yeah, trust yourself more than we usually mm -hmm. do. We doubt ourselves a lot. Probably because we were taught to do that. Kids do not doubt themselves. My nephews, man, they'll go running like right through it. You know, they are headstrong. We learn to doubt ourselves through school, you know, negative interactions, bullying, mm -hmm. you name it, social norms, comparing yourself to models, all this stuff. 
we kind of learned like no one ever told you you're ugly. You know what I mean? We just like feel that way sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's odd because sometimes we'll actually reinforce that negatively to the point that we believe it. And that be makes you less attractive than you should be. Yeah. I mean, I think that nonverbal communication outweighs, you know, verbal communication. And there's so much that's telling through media and, you know, just like commercials and magazines and all that. And having peer pressure is very real. I would love to know what goes on in the hesitation. Is it this cerebral thing where we're going through like a cost risk analysis of like, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, face rejection. Oh, right. Because point. rejection is real. Right. Because societally men, right. In a heterosexual relationship, you know, societally, you know, we are taught to pursue and to go after and to initiate. Right. And to me, and, you know, with experience, like there's this great fear of rejection. You would rather just keep it to yourself and, you know, let that, you know, potential, you know, just walk by. Right. And not actually pursue it. So like, Physiologically, is there something that goes on? Yes. It's funny you say that. You know, you, you nailed it. It is a bargaining. So, you know, your body, you have to process the bargaining. So like in the example I was using before, oh, I found someone with, let's say, tattoos, right? And again, I have tattoos. I'm very pro-tattoo. But let's say, you know, you came from a conservative family and you're like, oh, man, I really like this person, but they have tats. And I'm, you have to bargain, you know, that's, there's a hesitancy in one regard, right? This is one example. I have to think about, is it worth like making my parents upset and I'll clean up the fallout after? Because if that's mm. the case, or I believe that they'll ultimately like them, I'm going to go for it. If you believe that it's like irreparable, if I go out with this person, that's it, Sayonara family, you might take cause <laughs> much more. You know, even though, even though that would be a very pathologic family situation, that would be, you know, you'd probably err on the, on the side of caution, self image, you know, mirroring. If you are an angry person, you're going to appear, that's going to be palpable. You almost kind of exude it. You know, if you're a happy person, that will also be palpable. So these things are, are very palpable and, and you take pause when you don't think you are attractive. So some people will say, Oh man, you know, I want to hit on that person, but they're very attractive to me. And I don't feel like I am that attractive. So I, in this instance or compared to them or whatever it is, I'm not wearing the right outfit, whatever it is. And then you're like, okay, do I risk, like you said, is it worth rejection risk for me to pursue this? Or what most people do is split the difference. They hit on someone, but not as much as they would have. Like they might mm. walk by them in the grocery aisle, try to make eye contact, see if the other person bites, if you will. Whereas if they felt good about themselves, they might go up and, and like full out talk to them. So that mm -hmm. pause is, is really, you know, a recognition of, of like ne the yeah. negotiation that needs to happen for you to pick your best and honestly self-serving, you know, route, if you will. Yeah. I've, you know, done my own homework and research of a lot of different kinds of dating experts and gurus and, and stuff. And they say that, you know, if you see someone that you like, right, you won't, you 
pretty much like you know in a room cocktail room whatever right bar whatever you pretty much have three seconds you know to Hmm. approach this person you know especially when you lock eyes or when they notice you you literally have three seconds and if you smile then yeah and and if you don't it's like your, I guess that, um, what is that called? Cost opportunity window just kind of like go down, goes down the drain mm-hmm. uh, afterwards. So, because there's a quick assessment that we each do, I feel like, you know, both genders that does, you know, in an instant. It's amazing what a few seconds can, can do, you know, granted, you know, you don't want to judge a book by its cover, but, you know, there's a quick assessment that happens when you lock eyes or when you check or when you check someone else out. Yeah, Absolutely. it's true, right? Because you can come across awkward, right? There are situations where like someone's just kind of hanging around the vicinity, right? And then all of a sudden you look this way and they're there. And then you look this way and they're at this side. And it just comes off as being really awkward. And then it can come across like, sorry, guys, but I've had cases where it comes across as being kind of creepy, you know? And like, you can't tell if like, what is this situation, you know? So... Just yeah. go for and it. us doctors, like have we have the best social game, right? Because we spent so much time, you know, out in the streets, right, Tom? <laughs> no, and you know, it's it's funny because that is an example, Christine, of just being like it being palpable. You know, you can you can sense the hesitancy, and then I don't know if if I don't want to speak on behalf of other people, right? But neurologically, that would be submissiveness which often is less attractive depending on the person of course right but it's almost like wow if this person's submissive to even just say hello to me i don't know that doesn't come across attractive so yeah you really can't go halfway to school with it that's very unsuccessful but ironically it is the route that i'll bet if we surveyed people and they were honest is probably most taken because of fear of rejection. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, totally. Well, let's switch gears to tantalizing topic. So we've heard that certain foods can be aphrodisiacs. They act as aphrodisiacs and they can ignite romance that affect both the heart and the brain. Can you share some insights into this? And perhaps are there some aphrodisiacs that you can recommend? What are your you know, thoughts it's funny. on this? Um, these, these have been throughout time. <laughs> I think these are described in some of the most ancient texts out there. I believe if I read correctly, I'm no pro, right? But in my Google search, the Egyptians, you know, there's mention of tonics and solutions and the Romans and the Byzantines and the Turks and everybody, the ancient Mongol empire and everything all make mention of aphrodisiacs. And so I think, you know, to spare you this whole list of controversy, because there's Everyone you find that says there is what that it is, you'll find an article that says it is not. But generally speaking, flowers and shellfish, those are kind of two aphrodisiac related foods. And champagne, bubbly alcoholic drinks tend to be very aphrodisiac as well. They they tend to set a mood. Uh, Maybe that's because they are associated so much with weddings or parties Mm -hmm. or whatever. But there's something about the bicarbonate and the alcohol. I don't know exactly what it does, but it's also an aphrodisiac. So, But everybody kind of also, what, what is interesting is there's also a whole subset of people. There's so many outliers that it lets you know that everybody kind of has their own food to some degree. There may be some common ones, but we probably, again, is your blue, my blue, we probably all have some food that differs from each other, maybe based on upbringing cultural background, whatever, 
that is somewhat uh, aphrodisiac for us mm. that may not be for other people. That's so I'm gonna uh, throw more emotionally, emotionally connecting. Yeah, yeah. so I'm going to throw out chocolate in there. For, oh, yeah. yeah. For a lot Sorry, of the ladies. I, I don't that's know how definitely, I didn't throw it. Yeah, that's definitely excellent, excellent call. Chocolate, chocolate, absolutely. You mentioned flowers. Are you talking about like flowers in a vase flowers oh. or like, you know, baking flour? Oh, no. Like, uh, like oh, baking uh, flour. <laughs> Like well, he's a flower. I don't know what he's like. You're, you're a, such a chef, you call into this. Well, you guys are out on the West Coast, and there's a large uh, Iranian population. And uh, if you guys want, try some dishes with uh, rose water in them. They're delicious. They have a rose water ice cream, which I think is really good. I'm sorry for our Iranian viewers. I'm sorry that I'm not saying the name of it correctly, <laughs> but it's delicious and it's wonderful. There's also lavender-based coffees, lavender-based mm. drinks. There's alcohols that are infused with flower essence, whether it's lavender is a common one again. Rose petals or rose water is another one. And those have been shown to be used over time, even back in ancient texts uh, as aphrodisiac, tonics, potions, things like that. I mean, I'm no expert, but there is something to aromatherapy, you know, and yeah, sourcing sure. it from different types of like herbs and flowers. There's definitely something, you know, there. So there is another question that, and we want to pay attention to uh, time is, you know, in our profession across the whole gamut of different kinds of generalists, specialists, and subspecialists all in our, you know, our system demands, our healthcare system demands a lot, you know, from us, right? And we, you know, live in a very stressful, you know, environment, and especially after the pandemic, you know, more so, you know, pursuing love, attaining love, cultivating, you know, just, you know, nourishing that is always going to be a perpetual thing. So from your perspective, and having gone through everything we've talked about, are there any types of tips or recommendations you would recommend in terms of, you know, like you said, there's no right or wrong to, you know, listening to either one of them, right? The heart and the brain. Are there tips in terms of, is there a balance that we could strike in terms of, you know, how do we go about, you know, this in a very chaotic environment? Yeah. You know, it's funny as a neurologist, but any physician out there, right? But especially in, in neurology, we see a lot of catastrophic disease, you know, myasthenia gravis crisis, you know, traumatic brain injury. We see people that are truly ill. And I think in America is specifically with some of our, you go on Instagram, you know, there's almost a, a promotion of an, an idea that we are weaker than we are, that we are uglier than we are. You know, we're not as smart as we think we are. We're sleeping worse than we are that we're sicker than we are often to promote a therapy, which is monetized. Right. So there's this kind of growing hesitancy. And I guess what I would say is that when you consider the heart and the brain, you should, you know, as we consider, right. With the heart being follow your gut and the, the brain being conservative, conservative, conservative. I think when you consider those two, you should just remember always moderation is key, but, if you had to go to the 50% line, you should turn the dial a little more toward the heart. You, you're not as ugly as you think. You're not as dumb as you think. People don't perceive you as badly as you think. You're better than you think. You're doing a better job than you think. You're smarter than you think. People perceive you as you know more clever or whatever than you think. And so I would say, you know, I'm not saying, hey, 
I saw somebody, let's go sell the house and move to, you know, all right, there's <laughs> stay in the middle game, but don't, you know, turn the dial a little toward the heart because you're more resilient than you think. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. That was really, really yeah, good. I love really that. I love amazing. ending on a positive note. Hey, yeah. there's a Spanish Italian coming out. You know? <laughs> hey, man. I loved it. Well, as much as we would love to continue to chat with you on this fun topic, but we should try and, you know, wrap this up. What are your top key takeaways that you would like for our audience? Just be healthy. So the bet one of the best things to be a good lover is to like right sleep well, eat well, you know, hydrate well, control your mood, go to therapy, breathe, all these things, be your best you to the best of your extent, and don't freak out about the things that you cannot be your best at. Somebody can be perfect and trust yourself a little more. You know, go hit on the person. Like you're you're probably, you know, gonna either get success you didn't think you were gonna get. Or your rejection won't be as harsh as you think it's going to be. Awesome, awesome. It makes me think of that Wayne Gretzky's, you know, quote, right? You you miss, you know, hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? Perfect, so. perfectly yep, said. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Call to action would be if people wanted to learn more about you, connect with you, any follow up. What's the best way to connect with you? You know what? Usually through my Instagram. It's at. New York City Neurons with an S. Yeah. At New York City Neurons. I'm always we'll watching. I'm always there. on that DM. And I, I get, I because I have my Asinia stuff, I have NYC stuff, bike riding stuff. I'm getting a lot of mess. I get a lot of questions from people. And so it's become kind of a go-to for just general public to reach me. <laughs> I love it. And That's check right. out the yeah, we'll be sure to add that in the show notes and on here as well. And I should uh, I should tell you something, Tom, that, you know, I think it's really... So I actually, I want to give you some credit to even the evolution of this podcast. And so um, I don't think I ever said this to you, but so Colin, you know, he always has these great ideas. You know, he and I would like chat every now and then. And he like had mentioned, you know, this idea about having this podcast, like, gosh, months ago. And I was like, oh God, Colin, you know, I have so much going on, you know, and things like that. I, I, I love your idea, you know? And so, and then Tom, you had said something in the group because there was a point where there was like a, a producer that actually reached out to me, you know, con- to consider the possibility of doing some sort of a dating thing for White Coat Romance. It never nice. really went anywhere. But anyway, so I had did, I did a post on it and you had commented about how there was like so many stories that need to be told. And so something about that kind of triggered something in my brain. And I remember what Colin said to me. And so I actually reached out to Colin. I said, Colin, hey, remember what you said about the, doing this podcast? Let's do it. Let's do it. He said, I said that. You know, <laughs> do you remember this, Colin? You probably don't remember this, huh? I, I you know, appreciate it. So thank you. It actually like kind of kind of reminded me about how and that was part of the reason why Colin and I decided to do this podcast because you know we have this amazing community of healthcare professionals and we want to amplify everyone's voices and there's so much that you know we all contribute and so and just like you and uh, how much you know you've, you've given to us today and provided so much interesting you know giving us kind of the background the science behind the brain and the heart and so much insights and greatly appreciate you for coming on. I appreciate yeah, you both for having Enjoy me. I'm a big ways. fan of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and if you're watching this and you have not smashed the like and subscribe, those are two things I love it. that need to be done Yay. right now. <laughs> yes. And if you want to help support us so we can continue bring, to bring on amazing, amazing guests like, you know, the neurologist extraordinaire, Dr. Tom Pitts, then please do that. <laughs> 
Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Tom, again for coming on. Christine, uh, is there any last uh, words as we close no, out? No, I think we should All wrap right. it up. Thanks. Yeah, def definitely. Guys, thank you so much for watching another great episode. If you like this, like Dr. Tom said, hit that subscribe button and comment. And if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And until the next time, please say goodbye to Dr. Tom. Bye, Later. <laughs> hey, guys, thank you so much for watching and listening to this channel. If you enjoyed this, please like, comment, and subscribe. And if you felt like this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know as well. As a reminder, this channel does not offer medical advice. All opinions expressed are ours and our guests only. It is for general informational purposes only and does not replace professional healthcare services. Please consult your own healthcare provider for any medical issues you may have. Until the next episode, whether you're in and out of your scrubs, please remember to love yourself and others and lead with kindness. Bye. Bye.